From our nation's capital, this is Naps Chat. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe again from you. Hi, this is Bob Levy, the Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Association of Postal Supervisors, and welcome to this week's edition of NAPS Chat. Before I introduce our guest, I just want to bring you up to speed on some new information that occurred yesterday, which would have been Wednesday, June 3rd, and that is that the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee of the United States Senate conducted a confirmation hearing on two new nominees to the Postal Board of Governors. They are Donald L. Moak, who is the former president of the Airline Pilots Association of the AFL-CIO. He is a Democratic nominee. And William Zolars, the former chief executive officer of YRC Incorporated, which is a freight and delivery company that delivers a lot of large parcels around the country, and a former executive at the Eastman Kodak Company. Both serve their country in the military. Now I'd like to introduce this week's guest. His name is Mark Acton, and we are delighted to have him as our guest here on Naps Chat. Welcome to our program. Thank you, Bob. It's great to be included. Mark is a member of the Postal Regulatory Commission, a five-member commission. He has served on the PRC as a commissioner since 2006. Prior to his uh, commissionership on the PRC, he worked as a staff member of the PRC as assistant to the chairman at that time. I think that was Dan Blair, who was the chairman of the Postal Rate Commission at that point. Is that accurate? It was Chairman George Omas. Ah, so it it predates Dan Blair. And uh, Mark was nominated three times to the PRC. First, he was first nominated by President George W. Bush in 2005, and subsequently he was nominated by President Barack Obama twice. Before his tenure at the PRC, Mark also was a uh, staff person at the Republican National Committee, in part running conventions, the uh, quadrennial conventions, political conventions. But most interesting was he also managed direct mail for the RNC, the Republican National Committee, which we will touch upon in a couple of moments. Now, Mark, I want to ask you this question, and our our listeners have asked me this time and time again uh, when I've had other commissioners on the line. Uh, In fact, you are the last commissioner, yet you are the senior most of the PRC commissioners. And they would like to know, what is the confirmation process? You know, how do you get nominated and how are you confirmed by the Senate? What's the process in being nominated to uh, any exit position, whether it be the PRC or the Board of Governors? Yeah, you know, I get asked that question occasionally. The uh, role that uh, we occupy as commissioners, there are presidential appointees with Senate confirmation. So in the entire federal bureaucracy, there's probably about 1,200 of those slots. So they're reasonably limited in terms of their availability. Having done it three times now, they each have their own personas. They raise different challenges because they involve different people, different senators are involved at different points in the process. And uh, I will say, generally speaking, that the uh, process of appointment and confirmation has grown more challenging uh, with each successive nomination. And I think that's primarily a function of the 
deteriorating status of the fiscal health of the United States Postal Service. The senators want to be sure that they're picking individuals who are going to be responsible public servants and help to improve the situation. The logistically, you have it isn't simply being nominated by the president and just your name gets sent over to the Senate. You have to file forms, disclosure forms. Uh, you go through an interview process. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's a very uh, closely scrutinized nomination process. You have to be fully disclosed in terms of your finances and your history with law enforcement or any other issues that the president and the senators may care about because over the course of time, I'm sure you've witnessed where other nominations for other uh, roles that require presidential appointment and Senate confirmation, nominations are endangered by information that wasn't uh, uh, revealed as part of the vetting process. And I also think that that circumstance contributes to the notion that a president sometimes feels more comfortable if they're dealing with an individual who's been through that process successfully in in the past. Mark, what I want to dig a little bit deeper into is your background comes out of the political arena. The four commissioners who you serve with emerged from the legislative arena. How does that reflect on how you go about thinking or uh, analyzing issues that come before the PRC? Yeah, our backgrounds are different in that sense. And, you know, we have a very diversified panel with the five of us, and uh, it's been great to work with all of them. Chairman Taub in particular is is just an incredibly committed fellow who just works tirelessly to promote efficiency and effectiveness at the commission. But, uh, yes, my background was political prior to coming to the commission, and uh, I ended up at the commission primarily because uh, former Chairman Omos was designated the chairman uh, of the agency by President Bush, And uh, he, Chairman Omas, and I worked together on the Hill on a number of different avenues. He called me and indicated that he needed some assistance in administering the agency, and that's how I joined. But I did have some background in postal. My time at the the Republican National Committee included a couple of years in the finance department, where I managed direct mailings for what we called the 500 Club and the President's Club, which were subscription clubs for people who were Republican and wanted to contribute to the Republican National Committee. And I will say that working as a finance person really gave me an appreciation for the notion that it's a lot harder to raise that money than it is to spend it. And the most effective fashion for raising money was always, without fail, hard copy mail. We had other approaches. We used phone banks and and other sorts of outreach. But uh, in terms of bang for your buck, the, the mail solicitations were by far the most successful. So you were a major customer of the Postal Service as when you ran the direct mail operation, in contrast to most other folks who might serve on the Board of Governors or the Postal Regulatory Commission. Yes, we had a, a large account uh, with the Postal Service, which we managed to uh, do the outreach on a regular basis. And you know, it involved a whole array of vendors to produce the copy and uh, We'd choose the letterhead and, uh, you know, pick the envelopes that we thought would be most effective and specialized postmarks. All of that was really part of the process. So I did come to the commission with a real awareness of the import of the Postal Service and the Postal Service's products. Mark, you're out of Kentucky politics. And so I'm going to ask you to what level of familiarity or relationships with two key individuals with regard to the Postal Service these days, and that is the chairman of the Board of Governors, Robert Duncan, who's from Kentucky, as well as the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell. Well, 
as you mentioned, we have a lot of common touch points. I mean, we are both, we are all Republicans and we are all Kentuckians. Senator McConnell is from Louisville, as am I. Mike Duncan is from um, uh, Appalachian, the eastern part of the state, eastern part of the Commonwealth. I know them both to different degrees. Uh, Mike Duncan, I've worked with uh, quite closely for many decades, and he and I had time together at the Republican National Committee where he enjoyed a number of leadership roles, including being the National Secretary, the National Treasurer, the National General Counsel, and then finally the National Chairman. And he also, of course, is a very accomplished public servant, having served as chairman of the Tennessee Valley River Authority and, and a number of other roles where the White House has selected him to provide leadership. My personal view, Mike Duncan, is uh, it won't, you won't be surprised to learn, is a very high one. He swore me in as in my first term as a postal rate commissioner there at the Postal Rate Commission. And um, we had a lot of uh, contacts in the political forum before we both entered the postal world. Now that he's a governor, we don't contact each other that much. Uh, Chairman Duncan's a very by-the-book fellow, and uh, I think he's just the sort of seasoned, proven leadership, executive leadership that an organization like the Postal Service uh, deserves and needs in this at this time. Let's talk in about your of, yeah with Mr. McConnell, Senator McConnell. Senator McConnell, I volunteered for County Judge Executive Mitch McConnell's first run for the United States Senate in 1984. He won that race, of course, and he's won every one since, and he's in another now for, I believe, what will be his seventh term. So over the course of my personal and professional existence, I have from time to time turned to the senator and his staff for guidance and help in terms of what it is I was seeking either professionally or personally. And I will say, and this is an indication of the remarkable level of constituency services that Leader McConnell manages, they were responsive. And uh, I've always appreciated that level of responsiveness from Leader McConnell in his office. And uh, he supported me to become a rate commissioner, and he supported me twice again to become a postal regulatory commissioner. So I, I'm not on close personal friendships with uh, Leader McConnell, but our paths do cross from time to time. Let me talk with you about a different issue that becomes sort of a, a large narrative with regard to the current postal service, and that is that as you are uh, coming out of the political arena, the next the next postmaster general will come out of the political arena, as does the chairman of the Postal uh, Board of Governors, uh, Robert Duncan. You all have the political flavor. Can you talk a little bit about uh, politics or partisanship and serving in a position such as a commissioner or a board of governor or the postmaster general? Sure. You know, Mike Duncan, for instance, is uh, his work on the political front is like his work in the nonprofit front. He does it as a sense of public service. Uh, he is a very accomplished uh, private sector banker who owns a series of uh, banks back home in Commonwealth, but he feels a calling to be helpful, and he has been successful in that front. He also uh, raises quite a lot of money there in Appalachia to uh, fund college uh, attendance for individuals who otherwise would have no hope of of achieving in that fashion. So, you know, it's important to know that the political work of individuals like Mike Duncan are just part of who he is. As far as the PMG, I don't know the PMG, and the people people have asked me that quite a lot because of the similarity in some of our uh, professional experiences with the Republican Party. He is, for instance, chairman of the Finance Committee for the upcoming Republican National Convention. And while I haven't encountered him personally, I have had very, I think, 
reliable reports from individuals whose uh, instincts I trust, who did interface with him, not in the political world, but in connection with his work as a logistics operations manager and building that enterprise of his into a multi-million dollar uh, operation. So I trust those individuals' views that their uh, encounters with the incoming PMG were very successful, and I'm looking forward to meeting him and working with him to better the situation. I would say I feel like some of the criticism with respect to the PMG has been a little uh, preemptive. The fellow's not had an opportunity to have one day in the office yet, and I think that we do owe him the chance to build a record, which we can point to, to agree with or disagree with or promote. I mean, we're all in this together, and it's important that we work together toward the common goal, which is improving the, the fiscal status of the Postal Service. What's interesting about this, sort of the dynamic right now, and I pointed this out in the last couple of weeks of my podcasts, is that the last postmaster general to come from outside of the Postal Service was Marvin Runyon, who was apolitical. He was not, he was a registered independent or a blank as we would refer. But the last political postmaster general was actually Winton Blunt, who was the member of the cabinet for Richard Nixon and also was, uh, ran the Southeast region, I think, Nixon reelect committee. But, you know, the interesting thing about this is we don't have much experience with political PMGs in this generation. So that's what I think is makes people a little bit anxious. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And it definitely is a change in approach. There's no question about it. And, and we know that this administration and President Trump has a, a very clear interest in the Postal Service. It's, it's probably never had such a high profile in terms of uh, what the administration's involvement has been. So I like to look at that as more a possibility for the sort of, of a catalyst for change that we need. And I, I don't know what the nature of that change is, but we know that some sort of reform is in store. The path that we're on is, is not sustainable. The business model, as we call it, that the Postal Service has been functioning with for a number of years now isn't, isn't providing it with the sort of resources it needs to do the job that needs to be done. Now, Mark, let's talk a little bit about what the PRC is actually doing right now. And I want to start with something that you touched about, and that was reform in what the Postal Service needs. The Postal Regulatory Commission is required to provide a 701 report, which deals with legislative recommendations. Can you talk a little bit about that and what sure. are the statutory requirements that the PRC uh, has to fulfill? Yeah. As you, as you say, we call it the 701 report, and it is a provision of the reform measure of 2006, the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act that the regulatory authority provide to the Congress uh, this report on a, a five, every five-year basis that basically is a, is a review by the commission of how we think PA is functioning and not functioning, but also just as importantly and maybe more importantly, it's a list of uh, recommendations that the commission assembles to uh, provide the Congress in the event that they are contemplating meaningful legislative change and, and they can perhaps decide whether or not they would like to include some of this we some of what we have to offer. Are your recommendations limited to the PRC's jurisdiction or does it is it more expansive? No, it's more expansive. In the past uh, we have made recommendations to Congress that they should for instance reamortize the unfunded liabilities, that they should for instance uh, think of using the um, funding that is presently in the fund in a fashion that provides a bit greater return, uh, more like private sector investment pension funds. But we also touch base on issues that are important to the commission, like the 
definition of a post office, for instance, that I, that issue has come up time and again in the course of the dealings at the commission. We also are interested in, of course, as you mentioned, the universal service obligation and getting a better definition of that. So it, it is both the uh, postal realm at large and also the commission in particular where we do some uh, administrative housekeeping. There has been a lot of discussion recently about defining what the universal service obligation is. It's right now, it's sort of operationally defined. Nobody defines it. We sort of know what it is the PRC has taken upon itself to evaluate and actually value the uh, USO universal service obligation. Whose role would it be to define what the USO is? Well, the universal service obligation is getting a lot of attention lately for a lot of reasons. Not the least of which is that uh, the Government Accountability Office and the United States Postal uh, Inspector General's Office, the United States Postal Service Inspector General's Office, have issued findings and reports, and really prioritized the need for a better definition and greater clarity with respect to the USO. You may know the uh, Chairman of the Postal Regulatory Commission, Robert Taub, published an op-ed a week or two ago about this very matter. And you know, the the Commission's interest in USO isn't just some um, passing notion, it is uh, rooted in statute. The the uh, reform of 2006 included a plank for the commission to develop and submit to Congress and the president an in-depth study of the universal service obligation. And we did that following uh, in 2008, following a year of effort and recruitment of a team of experts from George Mason University and the expense of nearly a million dollars. And that 284-page report, even though it's nearly a dozen years old, still stands as the uh, definitive reference for the USO. It includes description of elements, including range of products and uniformity of price, frequency of delivery, all of these different concerns. So the point that the Chairman Taub is trying to stress and what the commissioners believe in is that if we think there's a problem and there needs to be a solution, in order to better or best achieve that solution, you really need to have some clear idea of what you're expecting when you're done reforming. And that would be a clear and concise definition of the universal service obligation. One of the elements of the universal service obligation are rates. Historically, we have believe, we have uh, have a policy of, uh, that rates, particularly on first class mail, letter mail, is uniform no matter where you send it. There is some feeling, and uh, this might be reflected in a reevaluation or a reform, a revi- revision of the. Postal Services Mission that was recently uh, adopted by the Board of Governors, that uniformity may not necessarily be part of the USO anymore. Is that something that is of concern or that's something that you would look at? Well, I mean, uniformity of rates is a function of the law at the moment. And I understand your point that there is some debate about whether or not it should continue to be. But the commissioners are agnostic about what the solutions are. What we say is that there needs to be a better closer study of what these options are, and someone needs to be responsible for advising Congress and the president on what, uh, how a good definition of the USO can be properly crafted. We think the commission is a good venue for that, given the nature of our role as sort of a forum where different parties go to make their case, and the commission tries to uh, cobble together some outcomes that make sense. And I think that uh, the USO deserves that sort of attention, whether you're talking about uniformity of rates or any of the other key elements of USO, it needs to be a comprehensive assessment. And in the end, it has to be a a total product that makes sense for advancing the cause. The 
PRC, and we, we let's go, stay on rates for a couple of moments. Uh, there's continued attention or renewed attention, uh, particularly over the last couple of years, with regard to the rates on competitive products. Now, the PRC has a role in competitive products, making sure in part that it does isn't used to subsidize market-dominant products, for example, and that it pays for its uh, – that, that the rates charged for competitive products actually pay the, the cost of providing the service. With all the debate about the charge, let's say, the Amazon NSA, which clearly the PRC had to approve once it was going through, with the renewed attention to that, how does the PRC look upon its role at evaluating rates for competitive products? Well, there's a couple of uh, touch points here for the commission. Uh, first of all, you're, you're talking about uh, the calculations on the appropriate share of institutional costs. And uh, the commission is by law uh, ordered to do that on a regular basis. We are presently involved in some litigation in, on that front. The commission has uh, issued an order which puts forth a formulaic uh, methodology for using uh, contemporary inputs to uh, do a dynamic assessment of that. In the past, we've assessed uh, appropriate institutional cost shares at around 5.5%. The new estimation comes in closer to 9%. But the important term there in terms of appropriate share of institutional costs is it, it, it is by law a measure of appropriate share, not precise share, not exact share. So there's some level of discretion there with respect to the commission's uh, determinations. We have uh, some aspects of our order on remand with the commission, and we're addressing that issue now, and we'll be coming forth with some solutions soon. The question of, uh, for instance, uh, package contracts that the Postal Service has entered into, the, the question of maximizing revenue margins and uh, uh, increasing profitability is something that the Board of Governors is determined to do not the commissioners. The commission's role is to review those contracts and ensure that costs are being covered and that an appropriate share is being uh, contributed. But the issue at hand is whether or not the pricing is properly um, determined in a fashion that maximizes profits. And that is something the board is uniquely determined to do. So the board right now with its uh, renewed interest in the rate setting for competitive products there, I believe they are solicited or they're on uh, an independent review of those rates upon the completion of that review. And if they were to revise the contracts or negotiate new contracts, most likely you would evaluate it or the PRC would evaluate it based on appropriateness well, we, of allocation. We evaluate, all, we, we evaluate all their negotiated, negotiated service agreements and we're not evaluating them for whether or not we think the pricing is wise or unwise. We're evaluating them for whether or not they are covering costs and, and contributing toward the appropriate share. Understood. My last uh, question deals with a report that you recently, that the Postal Regulatory Commission recently released, and that is in relation to its annual compliance determination or annual compliance review. And in it, you took a deep down look at performance, postal performance. How does that, what is the nexus between that evaluation and compliance with the law? We, uh, you know, like everyone who's a regular user of the Postal Service, there are concerns about service standards and uh, performance levels. And uh, the important thing about the annual compliance determination, which, by the way, is the commission's most important compliance tool, we do a yearly assessment of 
Postal Service finances and operations, and we offer uh, insights, advice, and recommendations and findings with respect to uh, how it's all unfolded and what we think could be done differently to improve things moving forward. We feature in there uh, not just the fiscal status of the uh, uh, Postal Service, but also their ability to meet these uh, performance standards that they've set for different products. And it's my personal belief, and we don't talk about this in the ACD, but it's my personal belief that there is a close nexus between the Postal Service's ability to make those performance goals and their deteriorating fiscal state. Because I think when you're in sort of a spiral that the Postal Service is stuck in, in terms of um, its finances, it's really hard to muster operations to meet some of those goals. And, and I would say also, some of those goals for some of those products, I think, are out of uh, sequence with reality. I mean, they like to call them aspirational, meaning that, you know, they're hoping to achieve the goals and improve toward meeting the goals. But some of them are not just one or two points uh, off, but, you know, talking about a dozen points of failure for not meeting a goal. And I think that calls on the operator, not the regulator, but the operator to look again at what it is it's projecting its capabilities are and, and make reasonable judgments so that the consumers of those products can have a better expectation of when their mail will be delivered. Final question. As I, we started, as you have a long history with the Postal Regulatory Commission, first as a staff member and now as a commissioner, you've served as vice chairman of the commission also. What do you know now that you didn't know when you started that has made an impact on your expertise in postal world? Well, there's a couple of ways I'd answer that, Bob. One is to say, you know, uh, when you've been at it as long as I have, uh, some of these uh, issues sort of uh, come around again. It's helpful, I think, when making important judgments for the future that you have a real appreciation for the past. And that includes understanding the stakeholders' concerns and uh, having a grasp of the sort of options that have been on the table and what's worked and what hasn't worked. So in that sense, having worked there for a period of time gives you some special insights, I think. But uh, in the immediate sense, this uh, pandemic that we're all experiencing really has highlighted the imported value of the United States Postal Service. I mean, there's nothing good about COVID, but when you look at uh, uh, the uh, volumes and revenue reports for last month and see how package deliveries are up, you know, 30, 32%. It really drives home the point that uh, in this nation, there still is a very important role for a healthy United States Postal Service. With that, I'd like to thank you, Mark Acton, for joining us today on NAPS Chat and uh, wish you and your fellow commissioners uh, full health and to be safe. Thank you, Bob. Okay, so everyone, until next week when we return, thank you for joining us at Naps Chat. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe it came from you. I'm gonna